following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. You know, <clears throat> there are many types of people in this world. Many types. And one of the more helpful types of people in the world, people out there, are people who know a little about a lot. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's those that, that, they don't know everything about anything, but they know a little about a lot. And what I mean by that is, is the reason that they're very helpful types of people is if you combine that skill, I guess you would call it, um, with that experience, with a genuine desire and a genuine interest, a desire to help others and an interest in others, it usually results in a person who's, for one thing, a good conversationalist, because they can talk just about anything and genuinely be interested in what you have to say. And not only that, they're usually pretty handy. I mean, they just are. They, they know how to do a little here and a little there, and that's usually what we need many times. I just need a little help right here. I kind of understand, but I need a little help. So those types of people... Wonderful. Love it. Now I'm going to talk about another type of person on the other hand, and they're one of the most annoying people out there, all right? And it's know-it-alls, all right? And, and I would be willing to bet that all of us have fallen into that place before. I know I have. When I find myself talking and talking and no one else is talking and it's not a Sunday morning, it's like, okay, maybe now I should listen to what mom told me years ago, and it's time to shut the mouth, all right? Especially when they're looking at you, but you can tell they are nowhere in your atmosphere. They're like gone. They're thinking about what happened three weeks ago right now. They are so bored with what I have to say. All right, so, um, and this is another thing about a know-it-all, speaking confessionally here, because I've been there many times, is I've, I've never seen a know-it-all who actually possessed a tremendous amount of knowledge, okay? That's, that's just the kind of the way that it works. Now, when we're talking about knowledge, or we are talking about wisdom, and we are looking at this, there is one person in particular who jumps off the pages a little bit of the Bible at us. His name was Solomon, more specifically King Solomon. And King Solomon, the Old Testament, a little bit more about him here in, in, in a moment, um, he's the one who wrote these things. And it's interesting because he used, occasionally, he used the term knowledge and he used the term wisdom interchangeably. All right? Uh, I'll give you an example. This will probably sound somewhat familiar to you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You can find that in Proverbs chapter 1. You move a few chapters later into Proverbs chapter 9, and what you'll find, it looks a little different. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, understand something. Solomon did not have the market cornered on knowledge and wisdom more specifically. Don't worry, we're not leaving Solomon. We're going to come back to him. But I just want you to think, know that, that he didn't have the market cornered. There's another guy. He was around a long time before Solomon. As a matter of fact, it's a book in the Bible, but where it's located in the Bible is not chronologically correct. 
The book's entitled by his name. His name was Job. And Job's story took place sometime in the midst of what we find in Genesis. It's one of the oldest books we have in our Old Testament. All right? and, and Job, he is, he's writing about the search of mankind for wisdom. And on a side note here, Job is speaking in response to his friends who came to comfort him. And his friends, three of them anyway, were classic know-it-alls. <laughs> okay? Classic know-it-alls. And, and Job is responding to them, and he's talking about the, the search of people for wisdom. And this is what he says. Maybe it sounds a little familiar here. And to man God said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Job 28, 28. Now there's another guy. Now this guy was a little closer to Solomon, not just in time and date, but... Blood type. His name was David, and he was Solomon's dad, King David. And this is what he had to say in one of his psalms about wisdom, too. Actually, the 110th Psalm, when he said this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. All right, so we've got these statements about wisdom. And is there, just to be, just be honest with yourself when you look at this, is there a somewhat unusual common denominator in these passages about wisdom? Fear. More about that here in just a second. Back to Solomon. This guy was sharp, all right? He, he was a knowledgeable and a wise Individual Now, his wisdom later in life, whole different story, kind of failed him a little bit. But the question remains is this. How did this guy get so sharp? As I already told you, Solomon is, is King David's son. His, his reign started with kind of a rocky start, and there was a reason for that. You tell me. When, when a son takes the place of his king, that son usually is the what? Oldest. He's the oldest. That's the way it works. Solomon was far from the oldest son of David. Okay? So there was another son by the name of Adonijah who didn't take, take too kindly to King David giving the throne to Solomon. So I'll tell you what. It was off to a rocky start. It was, it was kind of rough there for a little bit. But once Solomon was established as the king, something very unusual happened. We don't get the age of Solomon. The Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't give us his age. A lot of people have gone to other materials during that time written that weren't biblical and said arrived at a conclusion that he's probably around 20 years old or so. We don't know that for sure. The, the Bible doesn't say. The Bible does make it clear, though, that this kid was pretty wet behind the ears. All right? I mean, he was, he was young. So that being said, 1 Kings chapter 3, we are going to dig in here long about verse 5. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. And let's read a little bit about what happens. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. 
Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Verse 10. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself a long life, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words, behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you nor shall one like you arise after you. You catch that? God says, there's going to be no one like you, Solomon, because of what you requested. This is one of the very, 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 very. Have I used enough varies there? Okay, very, very. Let's throw a couple more on there. One of the very few times we see God take the role. Now, a lot of people believe this is the role that God takes all the time. It is not, right? But this is one of the very few times we see God take on that role of kind of a genie in the bottle. He shows up to Solomon in a dream. He says, ask me what you want. Ask me what you want. And it's yours. Solomon asks for an understanding heart. That's what he asks for. Now, your Bible, I'm interested kind of in, in, in knowing you, tell me after church what your Bible uses there for understanding. It might be discerning. That's a word that gets thrown in there sometimes. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says understanding. Now, I know a little bit about Greek. Very, very little. Okay, I don't know diddly about Hebrew. I just got to throw that out there, right? And the Old Testament was, was written in Hebrew. Okay. Now, uh, I do get some helps to that. A good, really good Bible concordance is a great help. Another good help is I, the, the Bible that I have, particular one, every now and then there's a little number that shows up by a word in the verse. And I'm not talking about the verse number. It's a little bitty tiny word, or a little bitty tiny number. It sends me to my notes, and occasionally it will say, this is the literal word in Hebrew for this word. And it does it here with this understanding. Literally, what Solomon was asking for was a hearing heart. He wanted a heart that hears. And as a matter of fact, God, God noticed that. God took that same phrase and he used it in a little bit different way when he kind of remakes the request that Solomon said. And God's response is this. He says, I appreciate that you have asked for a heart, a hearing heart, to understand justice or judgment. And God's response to Solomon was to give him exactly that. A hearing, wise heart. Don't let that slip past you. There's something about wisdom that is connected to a person who's capable of hearing you got that? Write that in your Bible. Under that understanding or that discernment. If you're a Bible writer, write it down. Hearing, okay? Wisdom most definitely has an element of hearing to it. Hearing what? We'll jump into that here in just a little bit. Back to Solomon's 
one of his more famous quotes. As I said, it's not his alone, but it's one of his more famous ones. And he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. So let's define these things. This is important. If we're talking about wisdom, what is the difference between it and knowledge? So here you go. If you like to take notes, oh man, these next couple of minutes are going to be for you. All right? So if you don't, just hang in there. We'll be done with it in a second. All right, knowledge. We need to define this. Knowledge is this. It is a collection of organized information. Got that? That's knowledge. A collection of organized information. Wisdom's a little different. Wisdom is the ability to judge and make right choices. You got that? These two things are different, but they are connected. Listen closely. Knowledge without wisdom is possible. You see what I'm saying here? You can have this thing chock full and not have a lick of wisdom. All right? Knowledge without wisdom is possible. On the other hand, though, wisdom without knowledge, it's impossible. Knowledge is important. Okay? In order to have wisdom, one has to have knowledge. Now, back to Solomon. His request for a wise hearing heart had to do with the fact that he had a task before him that he knew he wasn't up to the challenge. You know, did you see what he said to the Lord? He said, Lord, I don't even know if I'm going or coming. I mean, I don't even know how to go out or come in. I mean, I, I know nothing. All right? And here, I am in this incredibly important position. My father learned not to number the people. That's a whole different story. Your people are innumerable. It is a huge group of people. And I'm the one that's supposed to lead them. He was right to be fearful. He was afraid of the task before him. And his request was, God, give me a heart that hears. God's answer to Solomon's request was not to fill his head full of information. It was to give him the supernatural. Did you, you see what God said? He said, nobody before you, nobody after you. You're going to be like you, Solomon. God gave him the supernatural ability to hear the voice of God. That's incredibly important. So do not forget to tie those two things together. Fearing and therefore hearing God is the beginning of wisdom. You understand? It started with fear. Fearing and therefore hearing God is the beginning of wisdom. What is the result of this hearing, fearing, wisdom in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis? I don't know about you, but that's kind of where my mindset goes often when I dig into Scripture and I dig into teaching. It's this. Okay, how does this affect my life on a day-to-day basis. And what we're going to see here as we look deeper into this is we're going to see wisdom vindicated. You use that word this week, anybody? You even hear that word before today? How many of you told your spouse, I'm going to work today and I'm going to be vindicated? You, you do that this week? If you did, you're weird. You know, I'm just telling you, people don't use words like that all that often. Um, but it is an important, it is a powerful word. It means this, vindicated means this, to be shown as righteous. To be shown as right. Let me tell you something. 
family in Christ. The most incredible vindication that this world will ever see is when our Lord and Savior parts the eastern sky and that trumpet sounds. And every one of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ without sight will be vindicated. Because on that day, faith will become sight. And that's an incredible vindication. But vindication is only that. Vindicated means this, to be shown as righteous. How do we know someone is truly wise? How do we know that their wisdom is vindicated? Well, we are going to fast forward a little bit from Solomon to another guy that was pretty sharp. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. First book in the New Testament. We're not just fast forwarding quite a few pages. We're fast forwarding about a millennium and a half here, folks. A little bit more than that, actually. Okay. Matthew chapter 11. Let me set this up for you just a little bit. Jesus is here. All right? He had arrived. His ministry... Um, was was in its early stages, but it had begun. Now, the person who, who was the preview to his ministry, the forerunner to his ministry, was a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And by this time, John the Baptist was in prison. Okay. Now, John the Baptist is in prison, and John the Baptist still has some followers. So he sends some of those to Jesus, basically to ask Jesus, are you the one that we have been expecting? So Jesus goes on to answer those questions. He gives the evidence that, yes, he is the one. Those followers of John the Baptist go back to John the Baptist. And after they leave, Jesus talks about John the Baptist a little bit. He says something to this effect. He says, of those born of women, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist. Quite a compliment. And then he goes on to talk a little bit more about that. And then Jesus turns his attention to his opponents. And more often than not, the opponents of Jesus, interestingly enough, were the religious people. And he turns his attention to them. And he looks and he says, he says, when John the Baptist... Well, okay, I'll just read it for you. Maybe that would be better. Matthew chapter 11, verse 18 and verse 19. Jesus speaking, and he says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, and the friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says this, Yet wisdom is vindicated by her This is what Jesus is saying. He said, John the Baptist came and you said he was crazy. All right? You said the guy's nuts. And then I come along because he's abstaining from everything. All right? He's stepping back from everything. He didn't even come to town. He's out in a boondock somewhere. Okay? And then, then the Son of Man comes. I come. And you say that I'm an undisciplined fool. And then Jesus makes this statement. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. 
Let me tell you something about John the Baptist. There is a reason why that guy was so popular. He is in the boonies, all right? He's in the boondocks. He didn't go to the people. They went to him. And we're talking everybody from the Pharisees. He called them scribes. He called them snakes. <laughs> what are you snakes doing here? All right? Um, Roman soldiers went out to him to hear what this guy had to say. And his message is the kingdom of God is upon you. Repent. Because he's, he's coming. There's a reason why he was so incredibly popular. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Jesus' ministry was still very much near its beginning. But his actions had and would continue to show that his words were more than legitimate. You understand what Jesus is saying by this? He says, if you don't believe what I'm saying, watch what I'm not going to do. And wisdom will be vindicated by her deeds. All right, folks, if, if you don't get anything else today, grab this one. All right, just grab it and chew on it for a while. Biblical wisdom always shows itself in action. Understand? That's worth repeating. Biblical wisdom always shows itself in action. Do you want a litmus test to find out whether you are gaining wisdom or merely knowledge? Now, don't misunderstand me. The gaining of knowledge is important. It is. But unfortunately, we do not ever, ever want to fall in the trap of stopping short, of just filling the head and stopping there. So, do you want a litmus test to whether or no you are gaining wisdom or accumulating knowledge? Here's your question. This is the question to ask yourself. How is my accumulation of knowledge positively affecting those around me? It's worth repeating. And it's a question we need to ask ourselves. Probably often. How is my accumulation of knowledge positively affecting those around me? Brothers and sisters, we need to know this. That's why we're doing what we're doing for this next year and bringing in a study source that will help us to get to know this better. But if that's where it stops, we are not a wise people. We're merely knowledgeable. And if we're not careful, we can become know-it-alls. So the question we need to ask, if you have dedicated yourself, which I hope you have, to getting to know this better, the question is this, how is this and my knowledge of this positively affecting those around me? Wow, wisdom is a huge subject, okay? I mean, it is a big one, and we're about done. Um, probably didn't do it justice. Got to be straight with you. All right? But I hope what you do this week will help you out a little bit more. That being said, we're working our way towards communion.
And when it comes to our time of communion, quite rightly, our minds focus on Jesus. So when I think about Jesus and this subject, my mind goes to a, a, a variety of places. One of the first ones is this. Think about Jesus. He was 12 years old. 12 years old. Mom and dad, they're on their way back home. They don't even know he's not with them. <laughs> and he's in the temple, astounding, amazing the scribes and the teachers of the law there. Don't you always want to know the backstory? If, if, how many of those people that were there listening to this 12-year-old were there condemning him? Twenty-five years later. Twenty-one years later. Not that good at math, I'm sorry. He is 12 years old, and he is asking questions and answering questions to such a level that the people are like, how in the world did this boy, how does he have this kind of understanding? But you know what's even more impressive than Jesus' level of understanding? Because it's interesting. You go from when he was 12 and you fast forward basically about 18 years and we get none of it. We don't. And before you know it, he shows back up. He's a grown man. And he begins calling people to him. Disciples. And he begins changing the world. And as he walked those 18 years later, for the three years beyond that, what's more impressive than his incredible ability, not just his intellect, but the way that he applied that and his incredible wisdom was just as important as that is this, his otherworldly capacity for compassion and his inexhaustible patience. Okay. I get a lot of comfort from the Apostle Peter, right? Because he makes me feel a little bit better about myself. I told you, I talk too much sometimes, all right? And Peter talked too much many, many times. I'm talking prior to Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, the Holy Spirit coming upon Peter and turning him into this incredible church father. When Peter would... I always open up that mouth and Jesus is like, come on, buddy. And, and, and Jesus always had patience. Not only with him, but with others. The thing we have to understand is these incredible attributes of Jesus Christ were not separate. They were, they were all connected. His wisdom was connected to his patience. His wisdom was connected to his, his powerful love for people. His wisdom was connected to him being a judge as well. His wisdom is this. His, his oneness with the Father. He always heard the Father. They were always on the same page. Look through the Gospels. Look how many times that Jesus retreated. And he went to be by himself. Now, I'm not saying he retreated from anyone because he wasn't about that, but he went to go pray to his father. 
He did it again and again and again. And when he went to commune and pray with his father, let me tell you what he's doing. He's hearing his father. And this is very closely connected to his love, his compassion, his patience, his actions, his cross that he would carry. And his judgment. I think when we come to our time of communion today, we always need to say thank you. We need to say thank you that the only time ever in history that Jesus was separated from his Father was the time he took your sin and my sin upon his shoulders. And the result of him doing that was this. Him crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is a judge. Don't forget it. Every one of us in this room will stand before his judgment seat. We talked about this a few weeks ago. If that doesn't intimidate you on some level... It should. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. The glorious resurrected Jesus Christ. And if that, if that does not put some fear into you, you don't understand what that means. But the thing about it is this. What did Solomon and David and Job say about fear? When it's connected to the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. On that day, we will come face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the only thing that will bring us to our feet is his nail-scarred hand. Because he bore the burden for our righteousness. So that for an eternity, we will thrive in his presence. And for that, as we come to this time of communion, we say thank you. And yet at the same time, I do believe today there's another prayer that we should probably pray. And it looks a little bit like the prayer of Solomon. And it's this, Lord, give me a hearing heart. Give me a heart that hears you. Give me a will that doesn't turn away when I hear what you want from me. Those are the prayers that God loves to answer. He told Solomon, you could have asked for anything. This is what you asked for. And I'm going to give it to you. What Solomon had was supernatural. It was. What every baptized believer in Jesus Christ has is just as supernatural because we have the Holy Spirit with him. And when we come to God and pray a prayer like that, it's like giving that Holy Spirit a supercharger, all right? And that Spirit will speak. And if we are going to be wise people, what he says will cause us 
to affect people around us in an eternally positive way.